Well, welcome to this week's Connect Group teaching and we're going to continue to explore the spiritual practices together and this week's simplicity. Now I don't know what you think of when I say that word. Maybe you think of like a style of decor, like modernist design. Maybe you're one of these Maria Kondo, organise your lifestyle, clear out all your cupboards and put everything in order and get rid of that unwanted clutter. Or maybe you just think, ah, oh, here's another fad. Uh, just something that people try to try and adjust their lives. And actually history says that usually after any major world event like the Asian tsunami or the 2008 bank crisis or even back for centuries, yes, this practice of simplicity, it seemed to gain momentum. But for the followers of Jesus, simplicity is something more than just a style of design or living organised or even a fad. Simplicity which originally was called frugality in years gone by, which came from the Latin word frux, which actually is about fruit. It's that word fruit, and it's about being fruitful, living lives of joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. The idea is that simplicity, living simply, is countercultural, and it flies in the face of our world, which says, get more and be more happy. Just like silence and solitude flies in the face of a culture that says significance comes when our lives are loud and busy. Simplicity, Richard Foster says, is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage money, talents and possession towards what matters most. See, this isn't just about money and possessions, although that is part of it. This is about your soul, your whole life. Writer and pastor John Mark Comer says, the goal with simplicity is to live with a high degree of intentionality around what matters most, which for those of us who apprentice under Jesus is Jesus himself and his kingdom. See, the whole idea of this practice is that we begin to look at what we fill our lives with, how we spend our time, our talent, how much do we spend of our money, how much of our stuff has got us and how much do we have and how does it make us feel? Asking, is that really leading me towards Jesus and the life that he promises? This practice isn't anti-possessions or anti-wealth but the teaching of Jesus seems really clear when it comes to how we view our stuff and our possessions and our money and what we do with it. You've just read or you're just about to read Luke 12 uh, where we, we see Jesus kind of summarising his teaching or Luke's writing summarising Jesus' teaching on possessions and he tells this story, uh, a, a parable that Jesus tells of a man who asks him to kind of side with him over a dispute with his inheritance with his brother and this man's brother seems to have some of the inheritance and this guy wants it and there's confusion over it about him getting his share. And Jesus tells this really charged story and it starts in verse 16 and it says that the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So we see that we've got a rich man and he has this abundant harvest. But do you notice the language? It says the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The reality is this man has not got this just because of hard work. Although he probably certainly played his part or certainly his, his servants probably played their part in making this crop happen. But this man had because the ground provided. 
And what we miss in the original language as we read on is just the interplay of the language and the emphasis of how this man then goes on to view the abundance that the ground, remember it's the ground that has given him, but in verse 17 it says that he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, chill out, relax, put your feet up, eat, drink and be merry. Do you see the language? The ground gives, the man takes. Now this was an agrarian society. Farming was all around them. It was what they saw. But what about the modern office? What about the worker or, or the healthcare professional or the homemaker that's, that's, that's not someone who is in the farming industry? I think the same attitude is so visible in our world today. I worked really hard for this. It's my money. I'll do what I want with it, thank you very much. Work hard, play hard. This is my body. These are my talents. It's my time, my stuff, me, myself and I. No wonder we live in a world that prizes bigger barns in order for me to make my life easier. But the truth is, Jesus says this is not the way to live in the kingdom of God and it certainly doesn't lead to the blessed life he promises. And if we actually take that thinking to its logical conclusion, then surely we have to ask, who gave you the body and the strength and the breath in your lungs to do the job that you have anyway? I mean, credit where credit is due. If the stuff isn't ours in the first place, then we're only stewards of that which God has given us. Then shouldn't we change how we view all that stuff? The issue is not wealth. The rich man's wealth is not the problem. It's about what it leads him to do and how he lives in response to the wealth and the possessions that he has. Jesus says in Matthew 19 that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Notice he doesn't say it's impossible, but it's not easy. And you might say, John, I'm not wealthy. Okay, in the world comparison, you probably are, but in this country, maybe not. But how about how you spend your time, how you live within your means or even below your means in order to live life more like Jesus lived? I'm fascinated with how Jesus lived intentionally, not just with an abundance of possessions, not just with his money, but actually how he would spend his time. I mean, he was, he was probably a fairly well-off guy. In fact, when we look at how he was crucified, the Roman soldiers, they cast lots for his garments. His undergarment was made of one seamless piece of fabric. He could have had more, but he chose not to. Possessions didn't define him. He had enough margin to be interrupted in his time that it didn't frustrate him. Stuff didn't detract him. He wasn't so busy that he couldn't be with his disciples and have fellowship and help those in need and pray and study scripture and invest in others. He didn't live in order to get so he could take it easy and enjoy his best life. Not like the rich man in Luke 12, who God has some pretty strong words to say for in verse 20. It says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you were prepared for yourself. 
The word you fool has to do with intelligence. It's saying you simpleton, you, you who haven't even considered life. You've not even reflected upon what actually life is all about and how the creator has caused it to work. That actually it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That worry and possessions are so connected. He said, do not worry about life, about what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing. Culture says that to think like this is crazy. But this practice, this practice of simplicity brings us back to walking the way of Jesus in order to experience the grace of Jesus. Do we take Jesus at his words? As I end this teaching, I just wonder if you turn with me to Acts chapter 2. There's an amazing passage at the end of Acts chapter 2 that speaks into the life of the early church. I've always been so fascinated as I've read these, these verses just to see the priorities and the actions of these earliest followers of Jesus. And let me read, starting in verse 42, just listen to these words. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, there was something about how this community viewed their possessions. They were a family. They were a family and they said, that's not my chair, it's our chair. That's not my money, it's our money. And no one was in need. Can you imagine what that sort of lifestyle speaks into those around that don't know Jesus? Now, I'm not saying we need to all put our houses on the market and collect all the money and start. I'm not saying that. What Luke is doing is saying God had established this new covenant. And it's come through this saviour, messiah, rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. And the people that follow the teachings of this rabbi see him as the messiah. They see themselves as this promised covenant community of God. And that all of God's promises were beginning to come true here and now. And among these promises we find in Deuteronomy 15. It speaks of what life will be like when God establishes his people. And so much of it is about money, about how every seven years the debt must be cancelled. The year of Jubilee. And so much of it is about actions and possessions. If you look at verse 4 in Deuteronomy, it says that there will be no needy person among you. Because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do you see? Luke is making such a controversial claim. He is saying these are the people. 
look, you can see God's promises coming true through the actions of these people. They're not just waiting around for God to pour out his blessing. He's already done it and they're living in a way to reveal that blessing. So no one was in need. And it changes how they spend their time, how they view their possessions, how they live their lives is radically changed because of how they saw themselves as God's people. That's what this practice is about. Simplicity causes us to reflect upon what we have, how we view what we have and what we do with what we have. And so as we journey with simplicity this coming week, may we know the grace of God and the reality of what it means to live as part of God's people in Stratford-on-Avon. Enjoy your discussions.